Today you're in for a treat. And, uh, and I say that not because he is my father-in-law, but because many of you know him as your pastor, uh, which he was for many, many years uh, here at Praise Tabernacle. He and his wife, Elizabeth, uh, founded this church. Uh, pastor Impaglia has, is no stranger to hard work. Uh, he and his wife labored for many years in Argentina and uh, uh, were a blessing there, came to the States and labored uh, in New York in churches there. But now the Lord has them sort of in a holding pattern of sorts. And I know they want out of the holding pattern, so we're going to pray for that. We're going to pray that the Lord will just let them land where He wants them to land. Uh, but before that happens, I just, they're close by now, and I wanted him to come and to minister. At the end of the month, he's headed to uh, South America. Will be, most of you remember when Kelly was here the day after Christmas, uh, his oldest granddaughter, Kelly, uh, she is headed to Peru for a three month uh, missions trip, and she'll be traveling down with her papa. Uh, but he'll be going down for a while to minister there. And I just, I'm so grateful for this man because uh, he has been a blessing to my life, has challenged my life over the years as we have been here as well. Uh, but today I know he's going to challenge your heart and encourage your heart in the word of the Lord. Would you please welcome back to Praise Tabernacle, Pastor Impaglia. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's always good to be back home, always. And may God forgive you, Pastor, for all the nice things he said about me. And may God forgive me for sitting there enjoying all the nice things he said about me. But um, folks, don't ever, ever lose this beautiful atmosphere of praise and worship. It's good to come to a place where people know that God's last name is not damn and that we can worship and praise and honor him. Praise the name of the Lord. I want to thank you for your generosity towards Kelly. <clears throat> when was it we were there with her? It was about nine years ago. She was 10 years old, and we visited some pastors up in northern Argentina, uh, northern Peru at the time, in a town called Cusco, which is about 14,000 feet above sea level. And... From there, we went to the ancient city, uh, the Inca city called Machu Picchu, which is even higher yet. And Kelly always said, I want to return to Peru. She fell in love with the children of the street. And many of the parents wanted to just give us the kids to bring back to America because they couldn't support their own children. And the dream and desire of her heart is coming true. And you helped make that. So within two weeks, I will be taking her to this orphanage where she will be living for three months, helping to care for 40 children. <clears throat> and the most difficult thing will be I have to leave her. So you pray for me because I will be nothing but one human tear as I leave her there and travel on to Argentina. But as Pastor Lawrence said, it seems we are in a holding pattern right now. And it's not easy, but you know what? We sang this morning, lead me, Lord, and I will follow. And the thing of it is, is God doesn't always let us know where he is leading us, but we must always be willing to say, 
just simply two words. Yes, Lord. And when we get where he wants us to get, we'll know it. Until then, we trust him. Praise the Lord. I'd like to talk to you this morning, if I may, for a little while, <clears throat> about the prodigal son. How many of you have ever read the story of the prodigal son? Very well known people who don't even go to church sometimes refer to the prodigal son and will use that phrase in reference to other people. By the way, I want to announce my candidacy for mayor of the city of Chicago. <laughs> Sherry Jimenez will be my campaign manager. She's worked with Mayor Daly for the past 20 years, learned all the tricks of the trade. And I passed the cemetery this morning on Peterson. Sherry, we got a bunch of votes right there. <clears throat> you know that Chicago is known for the dead that vote. And so uh, I will bring down the taxes that these Democrats just raised. The only thing is you all have to get converted and become Republicans. <laughs> now let's get to the Word of God and get serious if we may. In the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, it's a well-known story. And many times we emphasize the prodigal son that left home. But I want to emphasize the prodigal son that stayed home, even though I will refer to the first. To understand a little bit better the story, Webster's Dictionary gives us a definition to the word prodigal, someone who is characterized by wasteful expenditure. That's simple. Someone who is characterized by wasteful expenditure. Now you might say, we know that the prodigal who left home squandered all his money. What wasteful expenditure did the prodigal who stayed home have? We shall see. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. There was a man, Jesus said, who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. He wanted to have fun. He wanted to have fun. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he, this prodigal, began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and, and asked, asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because... This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I want to refer to some of the subtle sins of the spirit that characterized this prodigal son that stayed home. It is true. He was there with his father. This is the father's own testimony. He worked with his dad. He respected his dad. He didn't throw away his money in wild riotous living with his friends. Apparently, he had it all together. And he looked down at his younger brother with disdain because his younger brother disrespected the father, wanted his part of the inheritance, went out to have fun, and lost it all. Isn't that what usually happens? Want to go have fun. I wish I could have been there when the younger prodigal had nothing left, no money, no friends, apparently not much clothing, and had to go slop pigs. Now, as a Jewish boy, working with pigs was not exactly character building. I would have loved to stood there by the side of the pig, pig pen and said to this fella, hey, pal, having fun yet? Do you know there's a song that the old group cathedrals once sang, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Yeah, I want to have fun. I want to get down and dirty. I want to live it up. I want to, I want to, I want to. That is true. 
You can have fun. Don't tell me there's no fun in downing a pint of scotch. There is. But you forget the consequences. Give me a couple of weeds. Let's have fun. Well, there's fun in that. Sure, there's fun in that. But you forget the consequences. Let me tell you something. Sin will take you farther than you ever want to go. How many times I visited hospitals where ex-drug addicts who would mainline, prostitutes who were now dying of AIDS. And I had to sit by their bedside, not because I wanted to, but because I loved them, and, and I had to wear the mask, the gowns, the protective gloves because the doctors and nurses were afraid of contamination, and I had a sign in that I was responsible for what I was doing, and I would weep because these people at one time were having fun. And now they were on their way out. Thank God that the majority of them knew Jesus as their Savior. I remember Willie Rios spent seven years in jail, had become a member of the Savage Skulls, one of the most vicious gangs in Brooklyn. They would mistreat prostitutes and throw them off six-story buildings and watch them splat when they hit the floor. They were so stoned out of their minds. He came to me one day. He said, Pastor, you know my life. You know what I was. Drug addict, alcoholic, you name it. I became a male prostitute. And now I have AIDS and I have three months to live. He had just gotten married. Infected his wife. A child was born later. We don't know. I don't know to this day if the child contracted AIDS or not, but as he sat in my office, we both looked at each other and wept. He said, I thought I had it all together, and now I'm losing my very own life. I looked at him. I said, no, Willie, you're gaining it because now you're going to be with Jesus. And as I held his hand and I took the glove off, I refused not to hold his hand. He had open swords and wounds. His body was bloated. He was a, just a living mess. I said, Willie... Willie, Willie, I envy you. He says, why, Pastor? You're going to see Jesus before I do. Say hello to him for me. And Willie, within a few weeks, didn't make it to three months, went to be with Jesus. This prodigal son was rebellious. He determined, I want to do my own thing. I don't care what anybody says. And off he went. Look at the subtle sins of the prodigal who stayed home. Selfishness was at the root of his unrighteous anger. Your brothers come home. Who cares? That's the modern version of what he was saying. Who cares? Why was he so angry at his brother? His brother didn't ask him for money. He spent his own. Nonetheless, I'm better than my brother. Ooh, I want to take a shower just mentioning that. I'm better than my brother. I didn't 
disobey my father. I didn't disrespect the family name. Most of you know our son, Sam. There was a time he went off the deep end. He became a space cadet without a space suit. <clears throat> Drugs, drinking, became an alcoholic when he was 19, in jail weekend after weekend, fights, you name it, work hard during the week, spend it all in less than a night, over with. No money to begin the week with. Living in an abandoned car, buildings, no matter where he could find. And we had three beautiful, precious, perfect, holy daughters at home. Well, whatever. And they would weep for Sam because they loved him. For Mariella, he was the older brother. For Sydney, he was the older brother. For Karen, the younger brother. But one thing we made sure that we taught them, we love Sam. We don't love what he is doing, but we pray for him. But look what he's doing to you, mommy and daddy. We love Sam. We pray for him. Were we happy over this boy's choice to live the way he was living? Of course not. Many were the nights we wept, prostrate on the floor, standing, walking. God, where we never knew where he was from one week to the next. He cut himself off. But we made sure that the rest of the family knew we love him no matter what. And this is what this story is all about. But this older brother, the prodigal who stayed home, he began to squander, not money, the opportunities to show kindness. He wasted the opportunity to run to his brother say, Hey, bro, you're home. I've missed you. No. I'm not going in and enjoying the party. No way! He was angry, the Bible says. He had unfounded jealousy. What was there to be jealous of the poor brother who now wanted to eat pig food? The pigs were saying, get this guy out of here. We hardly have enough for ourselves. He wants our food. There was no reason for him to be jealous of his brother. His brother made a mess of himself. He should have pitied his brother, but he was angry at him. Listen, people, I want to tell you something. God gives us in our life opportunities to be kind to people. To love them not for what they have done, but simply because they are human beings that need loving kindness showed upon them. Do you know what the Bible says in case we have forgotten? While we were yet sinners. Oh, not me. I was raised in a good home. I, I had a... Listen, I don't care who you are, where you were raised, or by whom. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And while you and I were sinners far from God... Christ died for the ungodly. No one goes to hell because of sin. I know you were taught that. People go to hell because they reject the love of God. 
And here this young man, he's got this selfish attitude. And as a result, he has an unrighteous anger against his brother and jealous. Why should he be jealous? His brother lost everything. Because he knew his father would put him back into the family. Do you know this is true whether you want to believe it or not? There are people who kind of get happy when others lose it. And get angry when they know there might be a comeback. Let me tell you something. That is an attitude that angers God. We should be able to weep over the ones who are hurting and rejoice when they want to be restored. That's why this building must always be a hospital for the hurting. Yeah, but people make their own bed. They should sleep in it. Oh, come on. Get, let's get rid of the self-righteous attitude. We've all been there. Every single one of us, even my wife who grew up in a, a holy home where they never sinned until I arrived. Then I taught them all. <laughs> Everyone has to repent of attitudes. Maybe my wife didn't do some of the things that I did. But we all sinned. We all sinned. But you see, this young man who stayed home, the prodigal, was filled with resentment. Against whom? Against his brother, number one, but now against his father. Son, come on, come, come on, come on. <laughs> Your brother's home. No. Come on. No. How could you do this? Let me paraphrase a bit. I've been with you all these years. He even used the term, I've slaved for you. Give me a break. You live like a king and you got a ton of money and you had servants, and you slaved for your father, any child that talks about that to his dad needs to get slapped upside the head. And I'll do the slapping. But you've had everything. It's all your. What's mine is yours. In other words, the father didn't hold anything back from the son that stayed home. Instead of saying, Dad... You must be hurting. I think the three daughters that stayed home were more concerned about my wife's and my pain than their brother's riotous living because they saw how broken we were. I was at wit's ends, didn't know which way to turn, what to do. It was hurtful, it was embarrassing. But many were the nights I would stand by the big bay window of the house. Is this the night Sam comes home? Well, he did come home. Sad to say it was Mariella who had to make the phone call. Mom, Sam is here on the floor bleeding, all beaten up. I was at the church that night. My wife had to run. I couldn't go home. I had a service to attend to. It was a, a late night service. Sam was foaming at the mouth. His face was battered and bruised. Had to call the ambulance. Mariella grew up overnight. Nine years old, had to call the 911 and had to take care of a grandmother who was going berserk. And Cindy, no, was Cindy in church? I don't remember anything anymore. And you know what? 
When I went to the hospital and I looked at Sam, all I could do was weep. But at least I had him back. And this older son, resentful, angry, not only with his brother, but with the father. How could you do that to your dad? He's hurting already. Why more? But he added insult to injury. This older brother who stayed home had an unloving disposition. In a week or two, you're going to have this sermon series on love. Oh, people, listen, take it to heart and live by it. I don't care what goes on in this church. I don't care if God gives you a choir of 50 voices and you explode and have to get a building three times as big. I don't care if you have the world's greatest band and musicians and teachers and all the rest that goes with it. But if you don't have God's love that is prevalent, close the doors. People can do without all the everything else. You can't do without love. Not in this day and age. Everybody is angered at everybody. Everybody hates everybody. Look what happened just a few days ago. This insane man pulling a trigger, killing people, maiming others, and the whole world goes, oh, blame him, blame that, blame. Oh, what a sign of love. Taking advantage. Oh, come on. You know what the answer to all that is? Lord, baptize us with your love. You know what love does? We're going to see in just a moment what it does. You know what else was the subtle sin of the spirit of this older brother? He had an unbroken spirit. When you are hard, you'll never feel for the hurting. When you have an unbroken spirit, you don't care who is down and who is out and what brought them there. You care about only one thing, me, myself, and I. That's three things. You become so selfish, so self-centered, you could never reach out to anyone who's hurting. How many times have we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan, the self-righteous who passed by almost like, ooh, don't let me get too close to him. I used to do something as a young teenager, as whether you want to believe it or not. I used to go to the Bowery, which is Skid Row bring cookies and cakes and handkerchiefs. Nobody knew much about this. What would you do that for? Because that's where my father used to live, on Skid Row. When, he, when I was four, he left home. He was a drunkard, second to none. He'd come once a year, and he'd send a message to a barber next door to the tailor shop that he used to have. And the tailor, the barber would call me and say, Hey, Daniele, your father going to come to visit you next week. I said, okay. And I'd sit on the curb on Avenue T and West 7th Street on a main avenue waiting for my father to show up. Once a year. Sometimes he'd show. Sometimes he didn't. When he did, he was always drunk. But I'd run across the street to see him because he was my father. Always tilted because he couldn't stand straight. And I'd hold on to him and bring him to the house. And he couldn't control his necessities, so he'd always be leaking. And the kids in the neighborhood and the people would see it, and they would hurl their insults. Oh, these kind Italian people that we had in the name of God, I'm telling you. They, they, they were so disgusting self-righteous. And they would hurl their insults, and I would hurl them back because I learned the language. 
I said, this is my father. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what he smells like. It's my father. And I always had a soft spot for the guy on the street. I'd always give him a nickel, a dime. You know it wasn't for coffee. How much coffee can these guys drink? It was a sneaky Pete, 10 cents a pint back then. I think now it's a buck and a quarter. I don't know. It's gone up. Unbroken spirit. People, be careful. When someone is down and out, have a heart. Doesn't mean you've got to run out and get them, but drop to your knees and say, God, somehow that person took a wrong turn. Maybe a son, maybe a daughter, maybe a relative. Sure, you get angry for what they've done and the way they're living. So, life will beat on up, will beat up on them, and sin will take its toll on them. They don't need you adding fuel to the fire. Jesus, make me more like you. Listen. While we were out there lost in this world, God looked from heaven with a broken heart and had compassion on this world. How do you know? He sent the best that heaven had to offer, his only begotten son. Jesus didn't come looking for a bunch of holy people sitting in a church. He came to look for the ugliest, the dirtiest, the most hurting, the filthiest. And the Bible says as he looked out over Jerusalem, he had compassion. No matter where Jesus went, he had compassion on those who were being pushed down even farther than sin had already taken them. And yes, it was their choice. We know it was their choice. But you know what? Don't make firewood out of a fallen tree. Seek to restore. Someone once said, and I got to believe it more and more and more, Christians are the only people who bury their wounded alive. Learn to have a heart full of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus said. Blessing, I will bless thee, God said to Abraham. Seek to bless, seek to love, seek to have a heart full of kindness and compassion and mercy. Oh, it angered us when I saw what Sam did to his life and how he was ruining himself. But at the same time, I said, but God, that's where I was. And yet you didn't reject me. You came to seek me. There's an interesting note here. Do you remember where the Bible says, but while he was still a long way off, this prodigal son, his father saw him. What does that tell you? Every day his father was looking. Is today the day? Is today the day he's coming home? And when he saw him, this old man ran to meet him. Now, in those days, old men didn't run. And in today's days, old men don't run. But yet the Bible says he ran out to meet him. He must have been so happy and so overjoyed. Really? I think there was another reason. If you'll turn with me, because I want you to read it with me, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21. Yes, he was overjoyed. I'm not going to argue that point. I'm sure he was. The Bible makes mention of it. But I think there was a more 
important reason. You could take it for what it's worth. Deuteronomy chapter 21, and in verse 18, the Bible says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders where? At the gate of the town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a profligate and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. The father sees the son before he gets to the town gate. And he says to himself, according to law, when the elders see our son, who everyone knows is rebellious and profligate and a drunkard, they have a right to stone him. But I'm not going to let it happen. He runs out and he throws himself on his son and covers him with his own body. You're going to throw the stones at my son? You're going to hit me first. Does not the Bible say love covers a multitude of sins? We want to uncover the person who's already naked. The Bible says when someone sins, don't get on your little disgusting cell phone and start texting it around the city. But we, we, you want to pray for him. Oh, give me a break. If you want to pray for him, drop to your knees. Forget your phone. Love covers a multitude of sins. And this is what the father did. He knew that the town elders were always at the gate. That's where business was transacted. They had a right to stone him. All the rebellious kids should be thankful we're living on the grace and not on the law. He wasn't going to allow his son to be stoned. He was going to cover him with his own. And what does he do? Brings him to the house. Put the best robe on him. What did God do? He covered us with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Put a ring on his finger, sign of, this is my son. God didn't put a ring on our fingers, but he gave us power to become the sons of God. Now, there's three sons in the story. How many of you know that? How many of you know that there's three sons in the story? I got your attention. The prodigal who left home. The prodigal who stayed home. And the son of God who was telling the story. Jesus. And what was Jesus doing? This is what my father is all about. He is the one who has compassion on the hurting. He is the one who reaches out when you're down and out. He is the one who forgives because he loves. He is the one who seeks to save that which is lost. He is the one who looked for the day when the lost would come home. 
That's why the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he sent his son. It was the same act as the father seeing the prodigal now coming home, ran out to meet him. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you ever tempted to have the attitude of the prodigal who stayed home, go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. I don't mean bow before the image. That's an emblem of something we treasure. But survey the wondrous cross upon which the Prince of Glory died. Jesus hung there in absolute agony. We have no clue what he suffered because <clears throat> we've never been crucified. But all his weight was now causing his bones to separate from the joints because his feet were nailed to the tree and he could not move to make himself a little more comfortable. His knees could not stand straight and try to hold this ripped body in a position of comfort. He couldn't move and, and say, let me try this position versus that. But the very weight of his body was causing his joints to rip apart. Mind you, his back had been shredded by the Roman whip. They put crown of thorns about two inches long. I've seen those thorns from Israel. And they didn't just, is this hurt? They slammed it on his head, spit at him humiliated him as he hung there in front of all the people who were jeering him and, and, and then they pierce his side and he looks down at humanity and he looked down the corridor of time and said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Whenever anybody ever hit me, I'll get you, I'll get you. See you after school. I'll get you. Jesus never sought to get even. He sought to get you, but to love you. He could have said, he could have said, Father, I've had enough of this. Send down 12 legions of angels and destroy every single one of these miserable people who are doing this to me. I don't deserve this. Now, you know Jesus didn't die for anything he did. He died for everything you and me did. We need to have the attitude of the Father in this book, in this story. Don't ever take on the attitude of the, yeah, but pastor, you know what? You're getting older and you don't know what some people have done to me in life. Maybe I don't. But did you ever stop to think what you once did to Jesus? And he still loves you. Yeah, but you, you just don't. I don't have to know. I, I want to know if you want to tell me. But what good will it do? Doesn't give you a right to have an attitude against anyone. Sin is hurting people more than they can bear. They don't need your bad attitude on top of it. The prodigal who left home squandered everything foolishly. But I would venture to say the prodigal who stayed home was worse off than his brother because he should have known better. 
Let us not waste. Rahm Emanuel was right. Don't vote for him for mayor because I'm running. He was right when he said, don't waste the good crises. Whenever you see people in a critical situation, a crisis that is destroying them, run to them and love them. Embrace them with the grace of God. Invite them to Jesus. He's the only answer. Someone in the church is hurting. Please don't have that little sneer saying they deserve it. Show me one human being who doesn't deserve God's righteous judgment. And yet, through it all, he's shown his love while we were yet sinners. Someone hurts you? Yeah, I don't like to get hurt. I'll be honest. As big as I am, I do not like to get hurt. I want my wife to be nice to me all the time. Oh, by the way, that, that's so discriminatory, men only at Julian's house. All the women are invited as well. I know the back way out, so don't worry about it. When you wake up in the morning and someone is brought to your mind who has made their own bed and is hurting, pray for them. Say, God, fill my heart with compassion. The same way I would want to be treated, let me treat them. And if you're tempted to have this self-righteous attitude, this unfounded anger and lack of sensitivity, go back to the cross. I put Jesus there. Not the Roman soldiers, I did. Whenever your attitude goes south and you know it's going south, Jesus, change the direction of it. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your love. It can get ugly when people hurt you and stab you in the back. Or, as in many cases, someone in the family does wrong and brings shame on the family. Hey, listen, we all brought shame on the name of Jesus, so come on, give it a rest. There's an answer to all of this, and it is simply God's great love. We need to be so filled full of God's love and grace and mercy that whenever we're squeezed, all that comes out are acts of kindness. Yeah, but sometimes I don't feel like doing that. Well, nobody ever asked you about your feelings. Let's just do what the Bible says. But does the Bible really mean when you get smacked on one cheek, you're supposed to turn the other? Something like that. What happens when you get hit on both? Then you give them the jaw. Doesn't mean in the physical sense, if somebody wants to come and smack me, what it means is don't seek to take revenge because someone did you dirty. That's what it comes down to. Jesus said, well, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know, God takes revenge much better than you and I. Leave it in God's hands. He'll deal with people. Go get them, God. Go get them, God. Go get them, God. No, 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 no. Lord, help them. The best thing you could do for someone who's done you dirty is love them. This is a true story, and I'll end with it. There's a lady in Argentina 
came to know Jesus as her Savior. Husband was a miserable alcoholic, a drunkard. He would beat her to a pulp. More so when she became a Christian. Because she wanted to go to church, but oh no, you cook for me first, and when I come home, make sure the food is on the table. I want a warm meal on the table, then you go wherever you want to go. And many were the nights she never could arrive to church on time because her husband had to be fed first, would beat her, and she'd walk in with black eye or blood dripping, and, and they would pray for her and pray for her and pray for her and pray for her. One day the pastor preached the sermon, you know what, when people hurt you, do good to them. It's like pouring hot coals on their head. She took that to heart. She said, oh, next time my husband beats me, I got to do something different. Man came home, drunk as usual, beat her. That night, he was in church bandaged his head, his face, his arms. And joyfully went to the pastor, pastor, my husband's in church. What? My husband came with me to church. What happened? Well, you said that when people do you wrong, if you're you're going to do something different. You said it's like pouring hot coals on the head. And I didn't have hot coals, but I had a pot of boiling water on the stove. And I poured it on him. And he said, no more, I'm going to church. Stand with me. Don't look for a pot of boiling water. But you know how we're going to end the service this morning? I want everybody, everybody to come forward. Every single person.